0: This is a Defocus Media production. What are your jobs? What's up, everyone? It's your favorite optometrist, Doctor Daryl Glover, and I'm Doctor Jennifer Lierley, resident optometry nerd. And welcome to Defocus Media, optometry's number one podcast, where we discuss the hottest topics, latest technology, eyewear, practice management, and more. So sit back, relax, and defocus. What's up, what's up, everyone? It's your favorite optometrist, Dr. Daryl Glover. Happy Thursday. Super excited because I get to hang out with my brother from another mother. (laughs) And we're all about eye care shenanigans. Friends and family, it's a pleasure. It's an honor. It's truly a blessing
1: to hang out with the mighty, mighty Dr. Jeffrey Harding. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing great. Recovering from Valentine's Day, I'm here with my real Valentine, Dr. Glover. Oh, excited. man, you just sold my
0: heart, my friend. I really love it. I know everyone's out here like, man, this is a romance going on, but hey. That's, that's right. We got great energy, and it's that time of the year, you got to show the
1: love, right? That's exactly right. I agree. Third time's the charm. Big number three here. I'm excited.
0: <laughs> man, I'm not going to lie. I didn't really do much this year for Valentine's Day. Uh, I was late Um, to scheduling or setting up any dinner reservations or anything. So my wife and I, man, we just kind of took it easy. We just kind of chilled, relaxed. And, um, you know, um, in my household, I guess you could say Valentine's Day is every day. So we didn't I I believe it. I
1: believe it. I I had to make up for a lot of lost ground. I hired a Turkish metal singer to sing a song to my wife. So uh, she liked that a lot. (laughs)
0: well my wife doesn't want me to try to sing to her at all if anything, right she- right yeah same here i
1: think my wife liked the uh the metal singer more than me so i gotta be careful with <laughs> Valentine's like that
0: i love it man i love it i love it man so how's patient care been um in february i know january was real busy because everybody's benefits reset it mm-hmm. um, and now we're in february and you know it's a shorter month but um you know people are gearing up for spring break and things like that next month and. I know there's a saying of oh, there's a recession or oh, we're in it or it's about to come, but how's patient care been? I,
1: uh, yeah, you know, re- recession looming potentially, but I, I haven't seen it so far. People, uh, eye care is important, I guess. People are definitely spending on it, at least around here, um, getting their tax refunds too. Another big, big thing this time of year to get some, buy some glasses. So uh, yeah. things have been, been, been busy and I'm enjoying it. I
0: agree, man. In my practice, I've seen the same. We've been busy just nonstop. I, I told someone literally earlier this week. It feels like week 52, the last year of the yeah. week where everybody's trying to get in and use their benefits before the year is out. So I'm honestly, you know, blessed and happy that, you know, I'm a part of an organization that's able to put, you know, uh, people in a chair for me to help examine their eyes and help them live their best lives. So I'm super thankful Same here. For that.
1: Same here. Very grateful.
0: Super thankful to have this opportunity to chat with you today, my friend, as well. So let's get this party started, man. You let's ready? Do
1: let's do it.
0: All right, man. For those that are new to Eye Care Shenanigans it's all about optometry news, but in a fun, easy way to digest the information with an expert out there known as Dr. Jeffrey Farding. So <laughs> today we're going to kind of jump into some topics. The first topic at hand is lowering IOPs with doxy. I know this sounds crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. There's
0: something behind this, if you don't mind sharing with us, you know, what kind of research, what kind of discoveries, what's the information out there in the world that yeah. we're a little bit more about this. So
1: let's, let's take a look at this. Uh, Dr. Dominic Opitz at the Illinois College of Optometry um, was treating a patient. Uh, the patient had stable glaucoma and he was treating this patient for ocular surface disease with doxycycline. Yeah. And he noticed over the course of treatment that the patient's IOP fell uh, around 30%, which is significant, especially for a patient that's already stable and treated with topical drops for, uh, for glaucoma. So I'm not sure how big this study was. He did a prospective pilot study where he enrolled some more patients. And the idea was find some patients who are stable with mild to moderate open-angle glaucoma, taking topical drops for it, that also have ocular surface disease that's not yeah. potentially not treated, begin treating it with 50 milligrams doxycycline every day, and then monitor IOPs at baseline one month, three months, and the six-month mark. And the doxy was only for a 90 days. So at the six-month mark, they would have been off the doxy for... For three of those six months. And they found uh, that the doxycycline appears to be lowering IOP in these patients. Baseline IOP was uh, 16 uh, 16, um, millimeters of mercury. And then at one month, it fall to uh, 14.67. At the three-month mark, they're down to 13.5. And then at six months, that's three months later without any doxy, it only risen again to 15.3, still lower than the 16 baseline. So not really sure what's going on here potentially the anti-inflammatory properties of doxycycline are giving the trabecular meshwork uh you know some more some more room for the uh, aqueous to drain uh, yeah. but there seems to be something here
0: yeah I, I love it and you know when i think about some of our super drugs in eye care um of course Toberdex, i think everyone loves and adores
1: Absolutely.
0: everything um steroids such as Lodamax is another one of my favorite drugs that i use in my office but I can't lie, over the last two or three years, doxycycline has really changed my practice, especially with my uh, my bony and gland dysfunction, ocular rosacea, um, and to see this other piece to it with uh, potentially lowering the pressure, that's huge because when we think of glaucoma medications, we think about you know toxic issues with the front surface of the eye. So yeah. I'm really digging this, man. I think this is something that we need to dig a little deeper into. And uh, see how we can truly add this to the mix when it comes to treating glaucoma and dry eyes.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this. And uh, Dr. Opitz is working on uh, getting a larger study, enrolling up to 30 patients. I'm not sure again how many patients were in this study, but I guess fewer than 30. And I tried to do some background research to see if there's any other information about doxycycline and IOP, and there's really nothing right now that I'm aware of. So, really novel uh, approach, and I'm excited to see where it goes.
0: Well, I know all the glaucoma uh, companies out there are already starting to do some research and to try to figure yeah. <laughs> out they can incorporate that into their portfolio, right? That's um, right. There's a lot of technology out there, a lot of bright people, a lot of money out there to find to do the research. So I'm pretty sure within the next year, we're going to be revisiting we'll this. Figure it
1: out, yeah. And I, I agree so. with you, by the way. Doxycycline, great, great for uh, my patients, especially with yeah. recurrent corneal erosions too, very effective. Um, it's, uh, it's really filled a lot of gaps and it's been a, really helpful.
0: Yeah. That's a great call out as well. RCEs, man, that's a great option to have. Uh, Let's jump into the next topic, man. Uh, This is one that I'm very interested in learning a little bit more about.
1: Uh, Yeah. So I I care a lot about the the cornea and corneal pain. We were talking last time about uh, corneal pain and neurotrophic, neuropathic keratitis. And uh, despite my interest in this subject, I myself was mixing up the terms and they are very different things. So this is not new news here. This is just a study I read or a review by Dr. Tim Poyer. Um, and basically, just delving into neurotrophic and neuropathic keratitis. So, neurotrophic keratitis is something that's pretty well understood where there's damage to the ophthalmic branch of the trigeminal nerve and the cornea begins to um, lose some integrity as a result. So, this is a, a common way to look at this is stain without pain. So, yeah. you look at the eye and it's not looking good, it's beat up but the patient is not really com- complaining of any issues and that's yeah. usually got a neurotrophic uh, cause to it. And hey, then, can I ask you a quick question?
0: Can yo, we put stain pain on a t-shirt? I think that would do extremely well. What do you think? Especially I, though- I
1: mean, I think we should do that. I think we should do that. <laughs> even better. Even better than the next one, neuropathic. Guess what? It's it's pain without stain. So <laughs> we do that. It's even both. Yeah. So, was better? One or two. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. So I'm I'm down for that. I get the stain without pain. Um, no stain, no gain. Um, so in, in neuropathic, uh, this is when you have a patient where the eye looks fine, but they are really unhappy. They're really complaining of discomfort. And this is a, a newer a newer thing that really the research is still out on. There's a lot of etiologies, a lot of things involved. Um, potentially herpes keratitis. Uh, toxicity from preservatives, trigeminal neuralgia, fibromyalgia—it's a really complicated, multifactorial thing that yeah. is typically going to be treated with drugs like uh, gabapentin. Um, and it's—I'm uh, I'm grateful that gabapentin is now in the arsenal of a lot of optometrists. I can prescribe it here now in Virginia, and uh, it's been—it's been great in the handful of patients I have with uh, neuropathic keratitis. They really get some relief from it.
0: Yeah. What is it that you cannot do in Virginia? Because it seems like you guys have really stepped your game up and have access to full scope optometry. I mean, you yeah. scope. I mean, you guys are rocking and rolling out there in Virginia, my man.
1: Yeah. Uh, what, what can we not do? Um, I, I I don't know. Take a break, I guess. Uh, yeah, there's a <laughs> laser wall going through. We're going to have YAG caps out here for optometrists. It's uh, it's great. Come down to Virginia. Great practice.
0: Hey, man, I'm right beneath you in North Carolina. That's Hopefully, right. North
1: Carolina's great too.
0: Love and that stuff can kind of just drip down to us. So, we get the same um, scope expansion as well, my friend. But, uh, yep. congratulations on all the great work. And thank you for also just really practicing full scope optometry. You know, if hey, we're yeah, not right. practicing it, man, we're not going to be able to uh, show that we have uh, the knowledge and the skill set to, uh, you know, help these patients by practicing full scope optometry. And, you know, it's all about, you know, expanding scope, protecting our rights. So, I know we say this on every episode, but show love to the AOA, get out there and make it happen. Mm-hmm the cause that way we can continue to build this amazing profession known as optometry so again congratulations on all the great work out there man
1: uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here and i completely agree full scope so important you know i definitely don't want anyone to do anything they're not comfortable with but i encourage you to work on expanding your comfort zone um build relationships with mds in the area maybe who uh, can help you help guide you into different treatments you're not familiar with there's learning doesn't stop at the end of optometry school uh, and it's been it's been great to really you know expand and, and do more things than I thought I wasn't wouldn't be comfortable with, and um, able to do to help my patients. So,
0: and you know you hit on something that's huge. You don't have to do everything.
1: You're right, be really
0: great at everything. Um, so feel free to refer to another optometrist, especially when you start to expand your scope. Um, if it's not your cup of tea, there's someone down the street that may be able to take that. Off Absolutely. Your- just make sure that you, you truly practice full scope, but to the utmost of what you feel comfortable with. So great call out there, my friend. And
1: I, I can't, great I, I call out on your part. We need to be better referring to other ODs as a, as a whole, the profession, and myself included. So uh, I'm excited about the scope expansion, Give more opportunities for that.
0: Amen to that. Now, I wanted to circle back on something from last week or last month that you touched on, and that was SMILE, right? Yes. yes. Back last time, I know you wanted to come back in and talk about some uh, topics from that discussion last time we were on.
1: Well, I'm not sure if I want to touch base on it because uh, I, I've got to admit that you were right and I was completely wrong about something I said in the, uh, in the show. Um, we touched base about the very sad story about the meteorologist, Jessica Starr, who um, took her life and potentially the refractive surgery may have played a role in that. Um, of course, mental health is a very complicated thing that's very important to me. And, and it's hard to make a, a judgment like that. But um, she, she had had SMILE uh, yeah. uh, procedure; She did not have LASIK like I, like I indicated. And uh, you're exactly right, Dr. Glover. I've heard less and less about SMILE over the last few years. And uh, I tried to do uh, some work here and see why that is. And um, there's not anything that's new about it, really. Not like it's off the market or something. It's just as we've seen more patients and have more outcomes, I think it's kind of fallen out of favor just over the newer generation LASIK technologies. Um, I found a great post here by a refractive surgeon in uh, California, um, Dr. Abneet Gar. And uh, smile eye surgery may leave you little to smile about. Which uh, love that. Got to embrace the puns. Um, <laughs> so some of the the drawbacks of smile. Uh, she uh, in, in her opinion, and based off of the research that she's pulling from here, um, there were claims that smile was less invasive, smaller incisions. It's really not true because smile does have a smaller incision, but there's multiple incisions in the procedure. So overall. The, uh, the incisions that are being made are overall longer. Um, so, yes. And uh, the recovery time in SMILE is not as quick as, as was thought. Patients are taking up to a month to recover in certain cases. The refractive outcomes aren't quite as good as uh, the modern LASIK procedures. Dry eye. Um, there was the thought that uh, SMILE will disrupt fewer corneal nerves, this, uh, where they're removing this little lenticule from the corneal tissue with SMILE. And that is true. Fewer corneal nerves are disturbed. But however, patients seem to have just as many dry eye complaints, if not more, than LASIK. And also there's an issue with uh, corneal weakening and potentially causing ectasias that is more prevalent than LASIK. So it just doesn't really seem like it's uh, taking off in popularity, especially compared to the new advances in LASIK.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about LASIK a little bit. Are you seeing an uptick in folks that want LASIK, especially after the pandemic? Or are you not seeing as many people coming in and asking for it. I know historically in my practice, it will just come in waves, you know? Yeah. going to come in and the next thing you know, the next two weeks I'm getting bombarded by potential refractive surgery referrals, right? Oh but yeah. In your practice in Virginia.
1: I I think everything that I I experience is just like that. It seems to come in waves for whatever reason. Um, Definitely during the pandemic with the mask wearing, people were looking for ways to get out of glasses. A lot of contact lens fit opportunities and a lot of refractive surgery opportunities. Um, I think maybe it slowed down a little bit because people aren't wearing masks as much, but it still seems to be a very popular option. I wouldn't say it's going out of style or anything like that.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Good to hear. So let's take it to the next one, my friend. The gift of sight. To children, we all yeah. love kids. So this is a topic that is going to really, you know, touch your heart. And we got to give a shout out to, you know, the folks that are really putting some some energy and some money behind this topic. But take it from the top, if you don't mind.
1: Oh, of, of course, my pleasure. This is a, a great one here too. So, cataract surgery—about as routine a surgery as there is—something that is very well understood. Um, but pediatric cataract surgery—these patients that are born with cataracts. You know, I, it surprises me reading this article here about uh, how we don't really know as much about pediatric outcomes as as I would have thought we did. Yeah. Uh, so it blew my mind as well, man. I yeah. Had
0: some of the things that I was reading, like we're so advanced with all these different surgeries. But when it comes to kids and being able to help their vision at an early age, like we're not putting any thought or power behind it or brain power behind it. So this article really touched me, man.
1: Right, me too, and it seems like something that's fixable. So the issue, of course, is that when a patient is born with cataracts, um, they need to be removed immediately to prevent uh, deprivation amblyopia among other problems. And you know, what do you do at that point? The patient's probably plus ten, plus twelve. You know, really high uh, hyperope. Um, and very rarely is an uh, an IOL um, uh, intraocular lens installed in the patient when they're infants because their eye is going to grow a lot, and yeah. it's hard to really you know pinpoint what refractive power they're going to need. It's hard to determine if they're going to have a big, you know, myopic shift, axial length increase, things like that. So
0: That scared me, man, is because of that. I mean, we all use yeah. these devices, right? Cell phones, tablets, read mm-hmm. books, those, things like that. So, you know, how can you truly predict that if we're worried about the eyes elongating? I mean, there's right, right. maybe there's going to be some type of IOL implant where it has kind of like the, um, the uh, myopia control glasses where inside of it, it has the little, uh, what do you call those things? Um, oh yeah.
1: Right. Like the, the, little, the little dims, the little, uh, and we talked about the little, uh, the little lenticules there. Yeah. Right. right? Maybe that's the no, sign. That would be awesome. Maybe I would something.
0: love that. Yeah. We want our check for coming up with that idea. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. You
1: have to, have to change it out when you're 25. That's all right. Well, not exactly.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, but no, this is great, man. Continue touching on it, man. I mean, because I yeah, yeah.
1: So lives of many. So the IRIS database is something that was established in 2014 to help with um, MIPS reporting. Uh, It's basically, it's a big database of surgical procedures and outcomes that ophthalmologists can enter into, and they're incentivized to enter their patient information into this database because it's how they report for MIPS, the uh, merit-based incentive program um, in Medicare. So this is a huge database with um, millions of patients and surgical outcomes in it, and so uh, the FDA and the AA, uh, American Academy of Ophthalmology are partnering. FDA got a four hundred thousand dollar grant for this, and they're going to really dive deep into the IRS database to examine pediatric outcomes from cataract surgery between twenty fourteen and twenty twenty, and really see you know what works, what doesn't work with this huge data set because it's a it's not a known not a known question. We're not really sure what the best treatment options are. So having this huge data set to analyze is really hopefully going to get us some good answers
0: yeah and four does doesn't uh it's not too shabby as well it doesn't hurt,
1: it doesn't hurt at all yeah
0: <laughs> so super excited to see where that goes we're probably gonna have to circle back to this topic sometime next year just to see if there's any advancement as well definitely
1: and and they, they say that they expect to have good results by the end of this year which surprised me Um so hopefully we'll have some new things report on this pretty soon and there's another thing here too another part of the grant is that they're going to be using um, artificial intelligence algorithms to um determine you know diagnose diabetic retinopathy basically i work on that with this huge data set and i think that's also a great thing that's going to come uh, you get to use technology to help our patients that way
0: hey ai vr the metaverse right. all that stuff is the future and that's kind of a good segue into our next topic of conversation vr vision experience talk to yes, me about sir.
1: That. yes sir johnson johnson um is uh launching this uh, virtual reality experience for clinicians um, it's it's a training module to help uh, help clinicians really get some hands-on experience with the Johnson and Johnson contact lenses and products, without necessarily having to fly to a conference or a, a training seminar. Um, it's not available in the United States yet, but the technology is is pretty far along, and I think just working on getting approved at the moment. I spoke to someone in Johnson and Johnson about it, and they're really excited about this. Um, so it's uh, it's a way for clinicians to on the virtual reality headsets and get to uh, get to play with some really exciting J and J technology. You
0: know, yeah, I can't yeah.
1: wait! I can't wait to try it myself.
0: Hey, man, I, I'm super excited about this technology because as eye care professionals, this is what we need to be able to show a patient what it looks like in various ranges with contacts that are mm-hmm. multi contacts or even imagine progressives. Yeah, being able to show the different levels of what progressives look like. You can have a premium option where there's less distortion. Uh, more of your entry level where there's more distortion and be able to toggle between those two different zones so patients can see, but then also add into the mix of what your old prescription looks like versus your new prescription. I mean, technology, man, I'm telling you, it is going to change the eye care industry. And it's going to make us just be at the forefront of healthcare in general, because there's so many things that we can show our patients um, to, to enhance their lives. And I mean, even think about the piece of If you have diabetic retinopathy or macular degeneration and being able to show that with VR, this can really help, um, enforce compliance with our patients when it comes to wearing your sunglasses, having the right diet. I mean, I'm really looking forward to this technology to complement all the things that we do. This is going to take patient care to the next level.
1: I I could not agree more. I'm very excited about it. I, I can talk and talk and educate patients, educate, Medicaid, operate, um, uh, but, uh, Really, if you can show the patient what you're talking about, it just goes so much deeper. So we we're talking about trial frames being so great. That's a yeah. great point about progressives. I've had so many patients say, can you show me what a progressives like? And I'm like, no. Yeah. So, um, so this is that's true. VR would be a great way to do that.
0: Yeah. And then just think about the piece with kids, right? As far as myopia control, being able to have them put on that headset and see what elongation looks like of the eye and then simulate yeah. retinal detachment and maybe having you know a little story followed by that showing how it impacts you know a kid's life or an adult's life and you know just the overall impact in general I mean there's so many different pieces that we can go into and just the education that we'll have with this virtual reality is just unmatched
1: and I I can't I can't wait and speaking about kids it reminds me of something else that's very important you know I I'll often have maybe dad come in with his son and the the kid lost his glasses six months ago and the kid hasn't been wearing anything and the kid could be a minus three you know and the dad's like oh you know he broke his glasses again lost them again and i get it it's frustrating it's expensive i totally i'm a parent i totally understand but i just don't think a lot of the time the parents just don't realize what they're subjecting their kid to, and the kid doesn't have his glasses. So I have a big proponent of letting the parents see what the kid sees like. So if that kid's a minus three, I'll put plus three in a trial frame, put it on dad, and then dad gets to see what his kid's been walking around with for the last six months. And boy, that, then he understands how important the glasses are. So I think that's something You're to said,
0: think about. And I, look, you got me going on this for days, and I promise I'm going to get off of this <laughs> I get of innovation and technology. But, you know, think about this. Think about the access to just some of these simulations, whether it's jumping into the metaverse and doing this before you even walk into the exam link, before you even walk into the office, having the education about what different lens technology can do uh, for you, having an education about um, various conditions and experiencing it firsthand. That pre-education can really change the game for us, but also streamline the patient journey, right? Mm-hmm. Patients yeah. don't like to live in our office. They like to come in, get what they need, and move on. That will really change the game as well in regards to just that pre-education before they walk into our office. So again, i totally are so excited agree. about the technology. Can't wait for it to come. Um, our next topic up um, is something that I'm interested in learning a little bit more about, because I was a little lost in the sauce when I was reading the article. <laughs> no worries. Breaking it down. But this topic is lipid cycling pathways.
1: Yes, yeah, I, I was... It, w- it was confusing. It was a very confusing little article here, but I, the topic it covers it was so interesting that I, I'm, I'll, I'll, let me take the time to try to explain it better. So <laughs> basically, uh, there's a, a patient in her 80s who's being followed for her uh, age-related macular degeneration. She also has in one of her eyes a very large, full thickness macular hole. It's, pr- it's probably a half a disc diameter in size, very large, full thickness. There's no photoreceptors at all
0: okay. in that
1: area. And over the course of seven years that she was followed with fundus photography and OCTs, soft drusen uh, develop in the macular hole, which is very interesting because, you know, the conventional wisdom is that drusen typically are developing from uh, uh, Brooks membrane debris. Uh, the Brooks membrane debris is, is accumulating as the uh, photoreceptor outer segment membranes are being phagocytosed and, uh, you know, building up this waste product in, uh, in that area. But there's no photoreceptors here because there's a macular hole so how is the drusen accumulating and the the story here also mentions um how they're doing some assays of uh, human tissue uh, post-mortem and finding that there's really convincing evidence that drusen and other uh, deposits in the retina like that are probably have a a a diet-based component to them from from the things that we're eating so there is still of course drusen that are forming as a result of phagocytose outer outer uh, photoreceptor segments, but apparently drusen can also form um, from potentially dietary fatty acids. It's really interesting. Wow, that's
0: that's huge, man! And you know that's why it's important to have the conversation with your patients about you know what you put in your body impacts your eyes, right? Yes, Very absolutely. Conversation day in and day out, and I do have, I have had an uptick of patients coming in asking about what should I incorporate into my diet? How should I protect my eyes? Um, so that's good to to see and hear, but uh, sometimes we do need to take it to the next level and have these conversations and um, keep awareness amongst the eye care community as well, because this was not on my radar. You share this article and I was reading it and it was a little difficult to follow, but the way it you was, man, was magical. So uh, I really appreciate you, my friend.
1: Hey, my, my pleasure. My pleasure. I uh, I wish I could share the pictures from it. I was working on getting a license for us to share it and it's, it didn't happen, uh, but it's really neat. It's uh, published in, in I.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Well, hey, man, this has been fantastic. It's always a pleasure to hang out with you and, you know, um, uh, report the optometry news. Uh, for all those that are out there that have an interesting news article and you'd love for uh, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Fardy to, to review it and break it down and analyze it and make it more digestible, just hit them up. You can follow them on Instagram at @dkunits That's right. At DK units. Uh, Hey, by the way. <laughs> so if you're watching, listening, go support him again. That's Fat DK Units, F A T T D K U um, N I T S. You can tell this guy truly loves contact lens. Uh, so uh, make that's sure right. you go support him. But uh, reach out and let us know if you see anything interesting and cool that we can report. As always, my friend, it's always exciting to hang out with you. Um, let's continue to do this. I'll see you this time next month, and we'll with- wait. My man. all those out there thank you again for following us stay healthy stay positive and stay blessed and until next time peace all right colleagues and it's a wrap thank you dearly for hanging out with the defocus media team we hope truly something resonated with you and if it did be sure to give us five stars and make sure you follow us on all social media platforms facebook instagram twitter linkedin you named it and our handle is at defocus media on all platforms and until next time Be sure to keep it 2020 and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.